Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's Mike Shope. We were having a very serious conversation about mayonnaise here. And the Bulldog. And don't even talk to me about weed. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Okay, somewhat of a turning point at the Combine in Indianapolis from coaches and GMs talking about the state of their respective rosters and key players to the actual stuff where they run around and jump and stretch and lift. My my favorite part of the two is the part that's ended. (laughs) I'm more here to find out what the Colts want to do with Michael Pittman and all the things Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott said, but there is at least something to be said for the rest of it to help us figure that out and more. Chris Trapasso with us from CBS Sports. Chris will be on with us again this year. We're happy to say every Wednesday leading up until the draft, which is, I think, two months, uh, just about exactly. Chris, how are you? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me again. You're, you're welcome. I might I might have asked you the same question other times, but with it being the week of the Combine, what for you is meaningful and what isn't? I mean, there on a certain basic level, there's the players' measurables that pop up this weekend versus what they actually did on the field. Um, maybe a couple of sort of principal uh, points that you subscribe to. So for me, I think the combine is, is a huge part of the process because it's one thing for me or for you or for Bulldog to watch the film and say, hey, that guy looks fast or he looks like he can really elevate to catch the football. But then the combine either confirms or totally – uh, you know, changes your mind about a player. So I, I like to have the unbiased numbers in front of me. Of course, teams talking to the players, getting the medical checks. If, you know, a guy's knee has, you know, a, a degenerative problem, that's obviously a major issue, just for example. But for me, it's like the Senior Bowl, I, I think I've, I've told you guys, the Senior Bowl doesn't really mean that much to me at all. But the Combine and maybe not actually taking in every single 40-yard dash or seeing every bench press, but just getting all the numbers afterward and being able to analyze them. I think it's, it helps determine where a guy's going to be picked, and it gives you a better – something that you can point to that's quantifiable, obviously, about a player's upside or lack thereof. Are there positions where that's all less true than others? Thinking about receiver, of course, we're going to get to receiver, and – Adnai Mitchell from Texas and two other receivers, Roman Wilson is one, maybe McConkie as well, are on a list of projected first two-round picks, at least that's possible, even likely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last 10 years, guys who did not have as many as four 100-yard games, I saw this recently from Scott Barrett, really it's almost all busts. It's George Pickens and then a lot of guys you would name as busts. Just one way of trying to decipher what you're what we're talking about now how they I'm not sure they all smash at the combine but maybe you know good good stats versus just a, a relative lack of production on the field is receiver a position where that might be looked at differently or no 
Um, no, I mean, for me, I, I think the athleticism certainly matters, but that's not to say that it matters more than what happens on the field. And what you mentioned there, that stat, I think is a good one. And that it first comes the film and, and what you're capable, what your skills or how they translated at the next or at the college level and what you're capable of doing once you get to the NFL. I think to single out receiver, it wasn't really even that long ago, about 10 years ago, it was, oh, get, hey, you draft a receiver in the first round. Maybe by it was always year three was the year that you could really expect to break out. That's not the case anymore. You need that production right away. So um, for for a lot of those receivers, you have to dig in. Like, was it a run-heavy offense? Were they? Was there another star-wide receiver? Um, and quickly, I'll just say on A.D. Mitchell from Texas, he's someone that's just not relatively new to football, but he was at Georgia, didn't play a lot, transferred to Texas, one big year, has – I think immense upside because he's big and he's fluid as an athlete, runs good routes, but just was in an offense that did want to run the ball. Jonathan Brooks, the running backs, might be the first or second running back off the board. Yep. And then, of course, Xavier Worthy there, too, who's probably going to be a top 75 pick, if not higher, probably round one or round two. So you don't disqualify someone just for that, but it's definitely something to take note because, of course, production and just what they do on the field matters probably first and foremost, but to me, and everyone's different, but to me, the combine matters quite a bit. Chris, so staying on receivers, but also thinking about the top three quarterbacks expected to be drafted here, one story, as usual these days with the combine, is which guys aren't going to partake, or at least throw, in in terms of the quarterbacks. Um, How much does that take away from this week? Uh, I can understand the strategy of it, right? You don't want to sort of look bad. (laughs) <laughs> if you're already expected to be picked yep. like first overall. But um, I don't know. Do you have a, a take on what can be done about it, if anything? Yeah, it, it does kind of take away a little bit. Last year we got Will Levis and we got C.J. Stroud throwing. Bryce Young didn't. And that seemed to make sense because of what you just mentioned, that Bryce Young, I think, knew, like, uh, my arm is not nearly as good as those other guys, Anthony Richardson, <laughs> obviously. But I'm surprised that when Caleb Williams came out first and said i'm not going to throw like you're mentioning hey he's the first overall pick don't do anything to change that status quo i'm surprised that then Jaden daniels and then drake may all who i think are probably a little bit better athletes um and are bigger and have maybe uh, at least the the same if not a stronger arm than caleb williams that they all decided not to throw either that if just one of them would have thrown uh or decided to that they had a great opportunity And, and that to me makes it interesting for this class, that second wave, the J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, Michael Penix group, that does anyone from that kind of crop that feels like late for, or mid to late first into the second round, do any of them have a really nice throwing session that I don't think should boost their stock a lot, but apparently does kind of move the needle a little bit with NFL teams? Yeah, maybe it reflects that they think they'll go second, third, or maybe not. I mean, Daniels had – really interesting, impressive numbers throwing the ball downfield yeah. uh, for what that's worth. Maybe they think they're, they'll, they'll take, <laughs> they'll, they'll take their winnings, so to speak at their current expected uh, draft status. Yeah. I think that's probably the case that these top three quarterbacks feel like they're almost locked into the first six picks with the uh, New York giants there, Joe Shane and Brian Dable down in New York being a team that, that has a six pick and probably will pick a quarterback. Um, that they don't want to do anything to kind of shake that. Um, but it, it, it is, I mean, I get it. I'm not blaming them. But if you're Jay Daniels, it just feels like 
you won the Heisman. I get that. He's, he has so much at the top of his resume now that's impressive. Had he come out and been the only top-tier guy to work out, if he runs in the four fives and has a vertical close to 40 inches and throws it decently, then maybe we'd be talking about, like, maybe not to be the first pick, but to maybe cement himself at number two when there's still that, you know, a lot of chatter about is it going to be him or Drake May at number two. But, alas, like, neither of those or none of those guys are going to work out, and I think it's, again, another big opportunity for that second uh, wave of the quarterbacks. J.J. McCarthy is often slotted fourth among quarterbacks uh, out of Michigan. He is on the CBS Sports uh, big board, by the way. Uh, you, you already knew that. And he is going to participate this week, I believe. Um, there are teams 11, 12, 13 in this draft, round one. Minnesota, Denver, and the Raiders. And I don't know, maybe someone earlier, because a lot of people have a very high opinion of McCarthy, it seems. What do you predict for him, or does it is it based very much on what happens this weekend? Well, what's funny is last night, being around all the bars and restaurants, which is a big part of going to the Combine, is just being able to talk shop with everyone that you see. Uh, the buzz, I would say, that I got was that McCarthy might not even make it to 11, that the NFL is higher on him than even that CBS big board, myself, anyone else. Um, but Having said that, 11, 12, 13 that you just laid out, maybe one of those teams goes the veteran route. I know obviously Kirk Cousins is already in Minnesota and it seems like they want to move on from him. Yep. But McCarthy, low volume, pretty good athlete, pretty good arm, uh, multiple-year starter, very successful under a former quarterback in Jim Harbaugh. He kind of fits that mold of it's easy to just be like, oh, what do you really see with him? but that the NFL actually likes him better because they they kind of view him as that moldable ball of clay. Who is the comp for you, for him? Is it Purdy? Is it someone else? You know, that's one I don't think I've necessarily done yet. It's kind of like a better version, like more dynamic version of Ryan Tannehill. I think okay. I don't – they just asked me at CBS last week, and I had to send them a list of comps, and I, I know I sent that one, but it's – eluding me right now okay i'm a big fan i i think he can be better in the nfl and be more of a focal point of the offense than he was at michigan in that run heavy system chris trapasso my guest bulldog is off today this is mike shope on wgr so receivers it's going to be a recurring topic here maybe every conversation we have if that's uh acceptable that's fine that's fine yeah um so many names after the top three maybe even theoretically including Odunze, but I doubt it. The Bills sitting at 28. What are their chances of having a player they think, a receiver, that they think is worthy, maybe no pun intended, of that pick at 28, given how many other receivers that might be comparable in overall ability still could you know bleed into round two and even maybe as far as pick 60? Yeah, I think at that point, I mean, this would probably be – I could give you a better answer after the Combine. So next yeah. week we can definitely talk about that because, like I mentioned a week ago and that we said a lot that you get a good sense of the ranges of where guys will go based on their workouts at receiver because, again, like if you run four four uh, four five five, you're not going to go in the top 20 picks. But if you run four three something, you're probably not going to be there at 28. Um, and it seems like it's going to be a, a pretty good testing group 
even though we're not going to get Marvin Harrison or Malik Neighbors, but Odunze, Daniel Jeremiah is a big fan of his. I, I'm not quite as high. He said he thinks that Odunze is going to run really fast. I think Troy Franklin's going to run fast. Brian Thomas should be a big time tester. Even A.D. Mitchell, who you mentioned earlier, like I said, is a very fluid athlete at 6'4", around 200 pounds, so he's kind of got that sprinter frame. At that point, if a bunch of those guys are gone, and probably not A.D. Mitchell, I don't think from 28 to 60 there's that huge of a drop-off where there's like one guy that they would absolutely need to take. And it kind of seemed like the sense in Indy here, uh, talking around just the media room, was that Brian Thomas from LSU will be the one that like would be cl- could get close to the Bills within striking distance for a uh, trademark Brandon Bean trade-up. Yep. Um, but after that, there will be the Troy Franklins, the Javon Bakers, the Land McConkeys of the world, um, Xavier Leggett from South Carolina. Those grades will all be pretty close for me and probably will be for the Bills as well. With Chris Tapasso here on WGR. So one player today, there was a report that this player spoke with the Bills, Byron Murphy, defensive tackle from Texas. We've talked about him before. Yeah. Uh, is he a worthy candidate at 28 or no? He definitely is. I, I don't know if he'll get there. Um, and he would be that if a bunch of receivers go off the board, they don't like the edge rushers because obviously to me, for as much as defensive line is a big need for the Bills, he's kind of like an Ed Oliver type. Mm-hmm. Now, in free agency, the Bills could bargain bin shop and get that big body zero technique or one technique that Starla Tulele or that you know bigger body next to them, that Daquan Jones next to Ed Oliver and say, hey, we just want more pass rush. If Byron Murphy were there at 28, that would be one of the few defenders that you could convince me would be a good pick for the Bills because he is explosive. The pass rush moves are there. He's, I, I usually don't have a lot of interior defensive linemen because of how I do positional value and bake that into my grades. I usually don't have a lot of those in the first round, but to me, Byron Murphy and Zerjon Newton from Illinois are the two interior defensive linemen I think are worth a first-round pick. And again, the Bills have more needs than just receiver, so you have to plan for a bunch of different contingency plans in case, like last year, say, four receivers go off the board right in front of the Bills and they can't trade up. Right. Is defensive line, or even interior defensive line, second for you? I, I recognize what you said about positional value, but like, as, as you see, if you were to predict what the Bills do with that pick, would that come in around receiver, like close to a, close to a co-favorite? Um, I would say no because of the class. It's really those two. If this was like the 2019 class with Oliver and Quinn and Williams and Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins, I would say, yeah, like they, they need it. A lot of those guys are bigger. They can play up and down the line. This class is really like those two that I just mentioned that are interior pass rushers. We talked about uh, Tavondre Sweat. I think he's more of a day two guy okay. because he's 360, and I, I don't he doesn't move the needle that much as a pass rusher. So after receiver, it's kind of hard to peg what it would be. Would it just be edge rusher because it's a great class? Could it even be literally taking the first safety off the board because of Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer? It seems like the Bills maybe feel like they can get more production out of lesser players or lesser free agents. And we'll obviously that will crystallize a little bit after free agency. But beyond receiver, it's kind of hard to peg. Um, would it be in the front seven or at that safety spot? The number one safety on the CBS big board is Cameron Kinchins out of Miami. Is he your top pick for that? 
he's my top pick for that, and that is a name that if you're looking at contingency plans and want to go beyond receiver to pay attention to, and I've mentioned that a lot this week here in Indy, uh, University of Miami, the Bills just hired a secondary coach from the University of Miami, Jamil Adai, and that so many times with the draft, not just the Bills, we go back and say, oh, why didn't we put that connection together that they hired this quarterback coach and he coached this quarterback and then that team picked him. It doesn't mean it's it, it, it's a telegraph or that's what they're going to do, but no one will have better knowledge of Cameron Kinchins than the Bills' new secondary coach, Jamil Adai. And I think he's a, a big-time talent. He's kind of built like Jordan Poyer, but a little bit more explosive. Um, nine interceptions the last two years. Can play free safety, slot, be the linebacker. He's really the do-everything safety. It's not a tremendous safety class. And to me, unless he doesn't test well, he's like the one that I feel that likely will and to a lesser extent should go in the first round. I've got one more thing to do now if I want to you know, somehow bet the draft or for fantasy purposes go try to find uh, those links. For, for a minute there, Chris, we thought maybe Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury was a clue. I'm, I'm yeah. saying clue with a K, by the way. Uh, his <laughs> being hired by Washington, having been with USC, Caleb Williams. But it seems, despite what Peter King's prediction was in his farewell column the other day, to me, it seems increasingly uh, sounding like the Bears will trade fields and draft Caleb Williams. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And what's, I mean, what will be good for Washington is that they have Cliff Kingsbury, who's like just failing up seemingly, which is kind of insane, um, that he works <laughs> with Caleb Williams, wins the Heisman, and then he'll get the consolation prize of Jaden Daniels, who's another, you know, big-time athlete. I, I kind of get the sense that Washington would lean in that direction because of what um, he's done with, you know, mobile quarterbacks, obviously just past season at USC. Um, but, yeah, it, it seems there has not been any buzz here that, like, anything crazy or unpredictable is going to happen with that number one overall pick and the Chicago Bears. They're going to trade fields and then just pick Caleb Williams. Two tackles. One more hat tip to the CBS Sports Big Board. Two offensive tackles in the top eight on your – this is the overall player rankings. You and I believe two others collaborate uh, on this ranking. Where where do they go? It's Of course – it's up there as far as a need position, an important position in the NFL, offensive tackle. Are they both top 10 picks in, in your mind? Um, so to me, Joe Alt, if you're mentioning him from Notre Dame, mm-hmm. I am way lower on him than most. And I felt a, a little better that I heard that this week on some podcast, Greg Cosell was like, I didn't really like his tape. And I didn't either. I, he, but I'm kind of alone, like it's kind of Greg and I alone on that. I think he has to get significantly stronger. I don't understand the he's a pro-ready, like plug-him-in type guy. Olu Fashionu from Penn State, the Chargers at five make a lot of sense because they bring in the former Ravens assistant GM. They always were turning over, adding more offensive linemen to that group. Um, they're in Baltimore and it's Rashawn Slater and not much else along that offensive line for the Chargers in front of Justin Herbert. So Fashionu from from Penn State, young, big-time athlete, great pass protector, kind of feels like you can project him three, four years to be an all-pro. He's that big of an athlete. I think he could be the one, or at least the one that I would pick that early. But I, I, I do think the league really likes Joe Alt as well. I'm just a lot lower on him. Okay. Uh, one more. How about Brock Bowers? In in the in the fantasy space, 
I heard a conversation about how um, maybe there's a little bit of pessimism about his height, uh, about just sort of like what the total package looks like. That's the first negative thing I've heard about this player, though. And in a in a fantasy draft, I mean, especially if you play, sorry, Chris, to bore you with this, but tight end premium where the tight ends get 1.5 yep. per catch, yep. ba- Bowers might go top three uh, in that format depending on you know um, where he goes. Where does he go? I think he goes right in the middle of the first round. Actually, my comparison for him, it, it was almost like striking to me, is Sam Laporta. He was not 6'6", 265. He was like 6'3", 240, a little bit smaller. And just watching the two, how they moved on film uh, and how good Laporta was right away, he was as ready to go as you're going to see at the wide receiver spot. That's where I think you get with Brock Bowers. Like the Saints, I, forgetting what – pick there at I think like 13 14 or somewhere in that range they would make a lot of sense I think he's not so freaky and so big and long of an athlete to go like in the top 10 because it's kind of a lower level in terms of positional value like playing tight end mm-hmm. but he's looked like a top half of the first round guy since his freshman season listed at 6-4 so I don't know what I'm talking about with his height but maybe, maybe that'll make sense here in the next few days which team did you say by the way or uh, the Saints I think the Saints at 14. Make a lot of sense. 14. Okay. okay. I knew they were in that range. And there's a few other teams, if you look, that you could be like, okay, yeah, they could use some more weapons that I've sent him to. Maybe the Colts are there, too, in that range. Um, that don't. I mean, it, it's kind of hard with tight ends. You're like, oh, do they really need a tight end? But Brock Bowers, in terms of, I mean, we saw it last year with Kincaid and with Laporta, um, teams feel better about getting production right away out of that position than they ever have. What about the Jets, by the way, at 10? What do they need most? I think offensive line. And it's a good offensive tackle class. Uh, Talese Fuanga is a name that's going to, I think, rise up the board from Oregon State. Gave me, at times, Penny Sewell vibes because he's like 6'6", 335, and he moves like he's a center. Sometimes he's a little over-aggressive, gets kind of out over his feet, lunges a little. But that's pretty rare, and he was a great pass protector, I think, with going through the whole Mackay Becton deal and they released Lakin uh, Tomlinson at guard and you have Aaron Rodgers coming back at 40 off an Achilles, to me that would just, whether it's Joe Alt, whether it's the Penn State offensive tackle or the Oregon State one, that to me is good in the short term and the long term for the Jets. Thank you, Chris. Enjoy the rest of the week. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Chris Trapasso. Coverage of the NFL Combine on WGR brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss, fast, sustainable weight loss, then free support for life, awaken180weightloss.com. And by Outlet Liquor, when you need to stock up, it's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? Man, was it last year? It's most years when the Giants and the Jets are both picking pretty early. And they were they were interesting uh, then. And I think they're both really interesting now. Chris there said... He thought maybe a, a quarterback for the Giants at six. I have not been thinking that. There was some, you know, maybe it's just what you get. Push for Daniel Jones today. You know, how, how he's getting closer to being ready. They owe him a lot of money. I bet they would try that one more time and not go quarterback at six. The Jets won't go quarterback at ten. But maybe skill position. Or do they have a rule still that you have to have played for Green Bay? before you can catch a pass for that team. Conklin at tight end, who had not played for Green Bay, in fairness, was pretty decent. He's not super young, but maybe the Jets feel like they're uh, they're okay there. 
the draft. And also I want to bring Chuck Dickerson back up, my first co-host here at WGR, and was a huge star way before I showed up, um, as many of you remember. If you have a thought on him, he passed away three weeks ago. I found out last night, and I spent a lot of the early part of today's show talking about Coach. So um, would love to hear some more you know, of you uh, talk about how you remember him and all of that. I certainly remember him fondly. It was a big culture shift, so to speak, for me coming over to work with Chuck. But I have only uh, good memories, even the times where we clashed, uh, good memories of the whole thing. 803-0550, no bulldog today. This is Mike Shope on WGR. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 